On today's podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Christine Dunkley. Christine is a consultant psychotherapist, author, and international speaker on dialectical behavior therapy, mindfulness, and emotional pain. She is also a consultant trainer with the British Isles for DBT. She is also the clinical director of the mental health and training company, Grey Rock in the UK. She has worked with suicidal and self-harming clients for many years, which led her on to further qualify in DBT and on to become a DBT trainer and researcher. She gained her doctorate in the University of Southampton School of Health Sciences on the communication of emotional pain and suicidal clients. She is now the vice president for the Society for DBT. She has lectured to mental health professionals all over the world. Uh, her company, Grey Rock, is a training company providing CPD for mental health professionals. She has over 30 publications in the area of mental health. Uh, her most recent book, Regulating Emotion to DBT Way, is out now. Uh, we talk about that on the podcast. We talk about emotional dysregulation, opposite action. Um, so really hope you enjoy it. Um, please like and share where you can. Thank you very much. Hi, Christine. You're, you're very welcome. Lovely to have you on. Um, Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's fantastic. Really excited to talk to you. Um, I suppose maybe to start with, you're slightly ahead of us in the UK. You've started to open things up again, kind of the bars, the restaurants and stuff like that. Do you feel, is there a bit more positivity around the place? You know, are people a little bit more upbeat with the kind of the, the reducing of the lockdown, the restrictions? Definitely, they definitely are. And I think that... Um, what I've noticed is people are just so much more appreciative of being able to do something like sit inside a pub or a restaurant. It's I amazing. Know. We didn't appreciate it before. We needed to not have it for a year and a half. I know it's amazing. Even just going out and the thought of sitting out and having a meal is lovely. We're kind of, I think it's the 7th of June. We're looking at the outdoor dining is opening and, and then they're kind of looking at July. So we're a little bit behind you, but we're, we're all pretty excited for the summer. Um, Christine, maybe we can start for people that I suppose wouldn't know anything about DBT. Uh, could we just kind of, and for people that are listening, DBT is dialectical behavioral therapy. Can we give a little bit, maybe your synopsis of DBT and what it is, uh, just for people's understanding, if that's okay? Sure, yeah. So um, DBT is a, a therapy that um, is derived from cognitive behavioural therapy, mm. um, which uh, was developed by Marsha Linhan, a professor at the University of Washington in Seattle, and it was devised to treat suicidal women. That was the first cohort of people that she wanted to treat. Um, and she was told at the time that if you, uh, if you want to get funding, then you should treat a disorder. And this is going back into the 80s. Mm. And she did a battery of tests on those women and found the most commonly occurring disorder was borderline personality disorder. And so that's what she ended up treating. Um, and it's, it differs from cognitive behavioral therapy by the addition of a lot more stuff. So in addition to one-to-one -one therapy, people have a skills training group. Um, it's a team treatment. So instead of getting one therapist, you get four therapists or more. Some do your skills training, some do your individual therapy. 
Um, so a community of clients are treated by a community of therapists. And um, you should get telephone contact as well with uh, out of hours with your individual therapist or perhaps sometimes on a rotor of people. And your therapist will go to a consultation meeting. So they, they discuss um, any issues that there are with your case. So you get the benefits of more minds on your case. So that's the nature of the treatment. Um, and dialectics, if I had to give you a pithy definition of what dialectical means, it means it depends. That there's no one size fits all. Um, you have to sometimes do more of something, sometimes do less. Um, you have to tailor what you do to, to um, fit the circumstances. And the last thing I'll say about it is it's a mindfulness-based therapy. It's behavioral with a big B and we work in the present moment. So we don't drag up all your past. We work very much in the present. There you go. Yeah, Fant fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, and I suppose DBT now as well. It's it's used by many practitioners. I suppose the skills of DBT to to treat many different disorders, like you know, um, I suppose originally for borderline personality disorder, or more commonly in Europe, kind of emotionally regulated personality disorder. But uh, you know, for people presenting with things like depression and anxiety or struggling with anger issues, that therapists are really seeing that dbt skills are a fantastic way to kind of help and support their clients um are you seeing that kind of it's kind of becoming more and more of a common therapy outside of that sort of origin of what dbt was originally used for certainly so um we've now got an evidence base that covers multiple behaviors so rather than thinking of diagnoses We'd rather think of any behavior that you want to change. Mm -hmm. So it could be behaviors that maintain depression or behaviors that maintain anxiety. It could be an eating disorder, drug and alcohol problems. Um, it, it's been used for offending behaviors in, um, in prisons. Mm -hmm. So there's been a massive expansion in the use of DBT. Yeah. Uh, so any behavior that you want to change, really. Yeah, it's super, super effective. Um, what, what I, I suppose I trained, you were one of my first trainers in DBT actually uh, back in 2015. And uh, I, I, I suppose my original training was behavioral therapy, but one of the things that kind of, I suppose, pulled the rug from under me at the time was mindfulness. And it wasn't something that I had done much work in. And, you know, I suppose my understanding of mindfulness was a little bit misguided as well, should I say. But, you know, it's a it's just so important and can you maybe explain the important role that mindfulness plays uh for all of us really um but especially in that kind of trying to regulate emotions or, or keeping our emotions regulated so we're not getting into a distressed state um can you just kind of expand on that for me a little bit if that's okay yeah well i guess uh, your mind is not your friend your mind goes off on its own track and um, mindfulness is the art of noticing where it's gone and noticing when your mind has done something uninvited by you. So not something you intended it to do, not something you wanted it to do, not something that has any benefit to you. 
like going off worrying about things that are going to happen, dwelling on things that have happened, creating an alternative universe in which you live, um, telling you all nasty things about yourself. Your mind can do all of these things. It's not, it's not your friend. Um, and so mindfulness, noticing the skill, the skill of noticing where your mind has gone and then being able to guide it back to whatever is effective for you. You know, that's the main thing. So yeah. that's why it's core to the therapy. Yeah, it, it, and uh, I suppose the core components of DBT, kind of you have your mindfulness, you have your distress tolerance skills, um, your emotional regulation skills and your interpersonal effectiveness skills. If we can kind of look at kind of emotional regulation um, and maybe just again, you could expand on this a little bit. That I mean, sometimes we think about emotional regulation as kind of downgrading the emotion, but it's not always that. And um Thank you for yeah. saying that. Just thank you for saying that. <laughs> because that is the reason that I wrote the book. Yeah. That is the reason that I wrote the book. Because so often I was hearing people say, oh, you need to do emotion regulation. Um, and what people were generally doing with their clients was just distracting them. And, you know, okay, if you distract someone from an emotionally evocative situation, then the emotion will go down for sure it goes down very quickly within about three minutes, three seconds rather. Um, and then when you represent the same situation, the emotion is just gonna come back up again. So that is not emotion regulation. Emotion regulation is teaching people to live authentically with their emotions, learning to value every single emotion because it's telling you something it hasn't come from nowhere it's come from somewhere it's telling you something but it might be slightly off for the circumstances that's all it might not fully match the facts so you could be angry about what somebody did um but you're furious instead of a bit cross or you know you're devastatingly sad but maybe you didn't need to be that sad and sometimes you're not sad at all and actually you need to be more sad. So real emotion regulation is looking at the facts of the situation and saying, how much emotion do I want to have? How much emotion do I want to have here? How angry do I want to be about this thing? And it might be different one day than another day. Yeah, so and if the book, your your new book is Regulating Emotion to DBT Way, and this is kind of a practical guide to, to DBT skill of opposite action. And uh, I, I, I think lots of people use opposite action. I mean, you know, in a very simplistic way, you know, you might, might want to go to work some morning and, you know, you get out of bed and you go to work and, you know, you're practicing opposite action. You know, if you don't go to work, something could happen. But I suppose where a lot of people that maybe are struggling with emotional regulation and, you know, are in a distressed state for one reason or another, uh, they might struggle to implement that when needed. Um, can you maybe talk to talk a little bit about kind of opposite action, the kind of theory behind it, um, and its important role, I suppose, in us regulating our emotions and us, us becoming more behaviorally effective. Right, yes, and, and I think you made a really good point there that we all use emotion regulation skills. We all have to get ourselves to do some things um, and 
sometimes we have to temper the emotion that we feel, but we don't necessarily just get rid of it. So if you're angry about something, an example I use in the book, you know, if you are um, angry because your pay is wrong um, and you've run payroll and they, they keep getting it wrong, then you, ring, you find out one morning, you go in and your pay slips there and it's wrong again. And you've been over this with them a number of times. You're really angry, but a client is waiting at the door. So you can't just give vent to that. So you temper it and you see your client and you act opposite to the emotion in that, in that moment. And then later on, when you ring payroll, you up it a little bit because that is motivating you. Being angry about it is motivating you to solve the problem. And you want to put a little bit of firmness in your voice and you want to say, no, I have spoken to people and I want this sorting out. So you up or down regulate the emotion according to the circumstances. So it's teaching people that the way that you do that, so you might do that automatically, um, but we know in DBT that there are a set of signature features for every emotion. And if you act opposite to the specific features of that emotion, the facial expression, the voice tone, the body posture, um, the signature things that tell your brain that that is the emotion, if you act opposite to each one of those in those domains, then the emotion will come down. The most important thing is though, don't get it down to zero. We don't wanna get it down to zero. We want to get it down to the level that matches the facts. And that's your call, really. It's, it's up to you. We're not telling people how to feel. We're saying, we'll teach you how to drive the car of your emotions, how to get it to go faster or slower. Um, and then you are in control rather than your emotion being in control of you. Yeah, a, a simple way I put it, and it's, it's simple, is often that sometimes the emotion fits the facts and sometimes it might not at all because our interpretations or thoughts or assumptions are, you know, misinterpreted, misguided. And sometimes uh, the emotion might fit the facts, but the intensity is is just far too high. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I suppose if we take maybe an emotion like anger and you've named it, like, could you give that sort of example for that of like, you know, specifically how that might occur? Um, just, just with anger, for instance, like. Yeah, sure. So if I was angry and I was livid, mm-hmm. then my brow would be furrowed. If I want to downregulate the emotion, I'd smooth out my forehead. My temperature would be hot. If I wanted to downregulate, I am going to cool myself down. My breathing will be... I'm so angry about this, you know, and I would take longer, slower breaths, like blowing up a balloon. I breathe out like blowing up a balloon. Um, My muscle tone would be tense. And so I would act opposite to that. My voice tone, that would be really important. If you just try saying now, um, Rob, say, I'm not very happy about that. I'm not very happy about that. (laughs) <laughs> do you want me to say it angry? I course again. I'm not very angry about that. <laughs> I'm not very happy about that. I'm not very happy about that. Right. And yeah. now say it in a kindly voice. I'm not very happy about that. Yeah. So yeah. When, you act, when you speak in a more kindly voice, the intensity of the anger goes down. 
It just, you can't maintain it. In fact, if you just lie flat, the intensity of your anger will come down because it's not a posture your brain associates with being angry. So there's all these methods that are just teachable. We can actually teach you how to get more sadness, how to get less sadness, how to feel more intense joy, how to feel less intense joy. There are times when we're joyful about things that don't do as much benefit. And, you know, we like seeing your drug dealer, for example. So, you know, we might want to down-regulate down that. So these are teachable skills and it is really effective. Uh, I can't tell you how effective it is. It, it's, a, it's a great skill to have. I'm so enthusiastic about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. I mean, even again, like things with, with like sadness, you know, and, you know, the action urge from sad, some sadness might be to kind of isolate or to hide away. And someone, you know, it might be rational for them to be sad, but it mightn't always be helpful for them or effective for them to be acting out in that sadness. So, um, you know, even identifying that and identifying what their opposite actions might be when they're experiencing that, uh, it, it's so valuable for clients and uh, it's not often something that they consciously have thought of like you know yeah. um, it's that part of it it's bringing it into your conscious mind mm. and so that you know and, and I think this and I don't know what you think um, Robert if if you agree with me that many clients when it comes to sadness they need to just be able to be appropriately sad yeah yeah fight that and they block that out so from a therapist's point of view sometimes the first thing i do is tell people the actions that they can do opposite opposite to sadness to bring it down if it's too intense in order then that they can learn how to be appropriately sad because they don't have to be terrified of it anymore if they know when I've done enough sadness, I can end it. I mean, you cannot stop being sad forever about something. Sadness is one of those emotions that nature allows us to delay and it causes us a big problem. And the reason nature allows to delay it is because if you were in a battle, for example, with your, if you think of, of soldiers on the front line in the war and they were with their, their comrades, their friends, and their friend was killed beside them, then nature says you can delay the sadness in order to save your life, right? Get to a place of safety first and then grieve the loss. Um, and so we have this capacity to delay sadness, but then when we let it in, because we've got a backlog, it feels huge. Mm -hmm. So we have to learn how to do one sadness in the moment. What am I sad about in this moment? And we have to learn how to allow ourselves to cry willing tears and how to stop them if we feel they're going on too long. And that's a judgment call. You know, you can't push it away forever and you can't let yourself be in floods of tears forever either. Yeah. yeah. That's the skill you need up or down. Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, like with sadness as well, and just what you were saying there, it's a little bit about kind of sometimes people are invalidating their own emotions. And, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about that, that just sort of self-invalidation that people can do? Um, 
you know, you were kind of talking about it there, actually. But, you know, just so people can kind of understand that, um, you know, it's a really important thing for people to understand that sort of point. Sometimes it's not just other people are invalidating. Sometimes they're invalidating themselves. I do. And that's why the mindfulness is key. Mm. Because that little voice in your mind going, oh, why are you sad about this? You've got no right. Other people have much worse things. You know, um, oh, well, you've got no right to be angry about this. You know, uh, you've got to see it from the other person's point of view. That's that's what it's about. And we frequently engage in ways of denying our emotions. And on the other side, sometimes they just hijack us and they're too big and they're too strong for the situation. So I always want us to remember that dialectic. It's not one or the other, it's both and. Both things are true. Yeah, uh, and it's sometimes as well, you know, you talk about emotional hijacking, it, you, you know, there's people just get caught out in the moment and, and something obviously you know if someone's angry for some reason or another they've had a long day and they come in home and oh, i don't know their partner has asked something and they overreact to that it's like you know they've already been struggling they've been having a difficult day but now they make that day worse by how they react to that situation and you know it was possibly inappropriate in that moment and you know is mindfulness something there that actually could prevent that as well you know in happening in the first place and uh you know obviously someone can practice opposite action but when they get caught or emotionally hijacked like that it's very very challenging um i often talk to people about firefighting a little bit that you know people's go-to skills sometimes are just distress tolerance skills all of the time but you know we really need to learn to process our emotions and to help and support ourselves from becoming dysregulated and uh you know, you're a huge advocate for mindfulness. Is, is, is that why that core component is there and it's kind of in DBT specifically, like, you know? Yes, and, and we know that the impulsivity um, that comes from having emotions that are strong and sudden, um, that can be helped by the practice of mindfulness. And mindfulness is a discipline. It's not relaxation. And I think sometimes people mistake it for mm. relaxation. And they say, oh, I did that mindfulness thing and I'm not relaxed. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about being able to have the experience of the moment and then let it go. Have it, let it go. Have one moment, let it go, have the next moment and not carry forward things into one moment after another moment after another moment. So the guy coming home from work or the woman coming home from work can hopefully leave behind what happened at work when they step outside the door because this is a new fresh moment however i don't want to misrepresent the, the skilled you know the skill of mindfulness because it's like any other skill you couldn't get in a car and just drive it you know you couldn't sit at the piano and just play um, a complicated piece of music you have to practice and if you practice daily um, then over time you are able to notice when you are um, stacking up these things, you are able to calm yourself down uh, because you can get into the moment. It's a practice thing. I, I, an example I used to use is um, when uh, my kids were young, we used to play badminton a 
this family would play badminton. I was always the weakest player at badminton. <laughs> I would stand on the court with holding my racket and I would hear this noise. And I would say, what was that? And they would go, that's a shuttle going past <laughs> your ear. And then I would I'd go, no, I wasn't ready. Like, let's go again. What was that? No, you missed it. And I would think, how can anyone get this tiny racket head in front of something that's going that fast? But over time, you practice, you practice, you practice, and then you can start to return the shots. You're paying attention, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and like like anything, like you said, practice makes perfect. And, uh, you, you know, I suppose often people are, you know, hoping to get, I suppose, more rewards a bit too quickly when they're practicing any skills. And it, it is about being consistent and it takes a little bit of time. And I, 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 I would be, you know, someone I practice quite a lot of mindfulness. And I think what you find, you know, from practicing the formal practices is that, you know, over time, and these are just formal practices that you might be implementing on a more daily basis, but it starts to kind of just come into your day-to-day life, you know, so you are far more aware of when your mind runs away with itself and you're able to sort of bring it back and, you know, so you're far more cognizant of all of that. And I, I think that can actually start happening quite quickly for people. If, like you said, people, you know, take a little bit of time and try to practice it daily. Um, you know, and it's just it's, it's, it, in DBT, we talk a lot about mastering skills, you know, and it's it's that regular practice of something um, is, is so, so important. It is. And, and at the same time, I love that part of DBT that says a lot of these things are not character flaws in you. They're just mm. it's not a character flaw. It's something you can learn. It's so destigmatizing. So um, I hope that we can get that message across to people. These are skills other people might have learned them in childhood. They might have learned them through a different route, um, but you can learn them too. Yeah. Can, can you maybe talk, a, just to feed into that a little bit, uh, just in relation to kind of maybe how trauma, um, I suppose, and negative life events can impact people's emotional regulation um, and their ability to emotionally regulate. Can, can you explain, explain that a little bit for people, you know, how trauma does affect that? Right. So, um, I mean, we do know that in any case, there are brain changes when you have suffered mm. a severe trauma and they affect your memory, they, they affect your reactive system. So we know that you have disadvantages in that way if you've had a trauma history. But the element that DBT focuses on is that um, abuse, neglect, um, constant criticism uh, can have an effect by invalidating your emotions. So whatever you think or feel, somebody tells you that's wrong, eventually you stop attending to it. If you've been abused and you've, you know, many people have been abused in childhood, and they have said, please don't do this, they don't want it, um, and they've just been ignored, their pain has been ignored. Eventually, they have a different relationship with their emotions. They think, what is the point of having any emotion? And their main focus then is getting rid of the emotion. So that's why over time it builds up. They try various things to try and get away from that emotion. Um, it might be, uh, prescription drugs it might be drugs that um, you can get over the counter 
it might be oversleeping, it might be just avoiding things that would cause emotions, staying in your house and binge watching Netflix, it might be um, drinking, drug taking, uh, street drugs, um, and harming yourself, thinking about being dead. All of those things are ways to not feel. And what we want to do is put back the joy of emotional experiencing and let people know their emotions are important and their emotions are their friend. And they can have some control over the intensity of that experience. Marsha said it's like, uh, Marsha Linehan said, it's like having a layer of skin missing, like a burns patient, so that every move is painful. And we can reverse that. It takes time, but we can reverse that. Yeah, I think it's a very it's very important for clients to know that as well that like you know there is hope there and you know there are people out there to help them and support them and uh, just what you were saying there a minute ago you know people that have had those very negative life experiences you know sometimes they start to believe these things to be true and you know they they are saying these things about themselves and you know whether someone comes in with very extreme fear or, you know, they're coming in the door with, you know, very, very low self-esteem or poor self-worth. Um, there's always a reason. And I, I think in, uh, Marcia put it well as well. I, I, if I'm quoting her right now, you, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think she put it along the lines that um, everything is as it should be because of everything that has gone before it. There was something in relation to that. Um, and that makes a lot of sense, you know, you know what I mean? There's, there is a reason that, you know, we are like this or that this person is struggling like this because of certain events or life events that have taken place that have led up to this. Um, and, and that, it's not fixed. That, that transactional yeah. process of one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. It carries on. It carries on today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day. Yeah. But you always get another turn, you know, to make a change in there. Everything you do is another chance to make the direction go back the way you want it. It's such a positive therapy. It's such a hopeful therapy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and I think the best thing about these kind of skills-based therapies for me is that, you know, you can talk all day long about stuff. But without having skills to kind of regulate or to bring down your distress or, you know, it, it, it can be really, really challenging to kind of you're, you're constantly firefighting, I suppose, you know, um, and that's what I do love about DBT and why I find it, you know, it's it's helpful for so many different presentations, by, like, like I've said, um, and it's really, really wonderful. I, another thing that I find very interesting is, you know, secondary emotions and Often people, you know, they've never thought about that. They never really under, understand, you know, okay, Jesus, this is a secondary emotion. And, um, you know, this is why I'm experiencing this. And sometimes people are in a secondary emotion and they don't understand that there was a primary that led to that. Um, can, can you expand on that for people a little bit? Um, you know, just the difference between a primary emotion and a secondary emotion and how, how it kind of occurs. Yes, yeah, so a primary emotion occurs in response to some trigger or cue. Mm -hmm. um, and a secondary emotion occurs in response to the primary emotion. So if you get sad about something, 
and you really find sadness incredibly painful, but you shift into being angry about it instead of being sad about it, then that anger can feel more powerful and more tolerable. And so that's a common pairing of you know primary and secondary emotion. So what might happen is as you act opposite to the anger, if it's a secondary emotion, then as you bring the anger down, the sadness can bubble up. So we just let people know that could happen. Um, that it, and people often say to me, oh, I'm just angry all the time or I'm, I feel ashamed all the time. And that's not strictly the way emotions happen. They kind of wax and wane all the time. They, they get big and, and small all the time. So, you know, even in a real crisis situation, you'll have peaks of intensity of the emotion and then it will go down again and then it will go up again and then it will go down again. So um, it's important that people know they're not experiencing all these emotions all together and that's why in dbt we do these chain analyses so that people become more aware of what their emotion is at any given time and then we can usually track oh i see you got sad and then you got angry and that mm. helps us identify primary and secondary emotions and at the same time i say to people do you know what don't worry about it regulate the emotion you're in and then see if another emotion pops up if it does then that emotion was a secondary emotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it too much. I, I think people do find it very interesting, though, and I, I think it is very enlightening for them when they do find that, you know, you kind of explain that process that, you know, anger isn't always your primary emotion. Anger is often your secondary emotion. You know, something took place or something happened that either upset you or made you sad. And as opposed to, and sadness is a difficult emotion for people to sit with and, you know, to hold. And it's much easier to jump into anger uh, because it can be offloaded a lot quicker for people that it, it's actually quite enlightening for them to see that because it's really helpful and oh yeah i'm sad actually this makes me upset and it's it's like a penny sort of can drop with people and you're kind of saying okay this is really cool and you know I, that's what i love about dbt as well there's so many different aspects to it that um people find really helpful and the clients find very very helpful um and it's very adaptable to people's lives it's it's very easy to kind of digest i suppose it is, yeah, and that and that question, does my emotion match the facts? And mm -hmm. um, if you ask yourself that and really you're sad, then your anger probably doesn't match the facts. You're probably wondering why you're angry because you're not being blocked in pursuit of a goal or threatened with something. Mm -hmm. So um, the, the process of the skill will help. It will really help. Yeah, it's fantastic. Christine, your your new book uh, looks. I have it pre-ordered, uh, by the way. So it's it's on. It's it's actually it's on the way. Um, so it, it looks amazing. Uh, there's so much in it. You, you know, sort of theory of emotional regulation, emotional regulation and dialectics, emotion functions and forms, the theory of opposite action, emotional validation, problem solving, and. Then you, in kind of part B of the book, you go through all of the different emotions and individually break them down and how to regulate them. It's, yeah, it's, it's a book for therapists, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and at the same time, I've had loads of people who are family members of people who, 
you know, have these problems or people themselves um, who've been in touch with me and said it's really helped them. So I think, you know, even though it's written for therapists, it's a very user-friendly book. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's definitely. I I think obviously it's a great guide for therapists, but um, I I do think it's a it's a very digestible book as well for people that might struggle with uh, their emotions and emotional dysregulation of some shape or form. Um, and es- especially when you're breaking down all those emotions in individually. Um, it also uh, very well done. It uh, top one hundred in Amazon's uh, bestsellers, which is fantastic. Um. <laughs> Uh, really really good um in its new releases um what i would say is i really encourage people to get out and buy it um definitely fantastic book for therapists and also check out christine this uh, christine is over 30 publications but if people are really interested in mindfulness um check out this book it's teaching clients to use mindfulness skills it's, it's a fantastic book herself and maggie staunton uh wrote that book um Christine, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, it was lovely speaking to you. And thank hope- you for asking me. I'm yeah. always happy to talk about BBT because I absolutely love it. I think yeah. people know that I, I really love it. Yeah, you're one of the DBT queens, definitely. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Christine. I'll take that, I'll take that. That's that's really good. It's really positive. Uh, We'll definitely do it again sometime, please God, in the future. And um, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, And come here, have have a lovely evening. Thank you very much.